If you'll remain standing with me as we continue in our worship service this morning and reach for your Bibles and turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 17. Pastor Chris will be preaching today from Psalm chapter 17. If you're in need of a Bible, there should be a pew Bible located in front of you. Please feel free to grab that and you can find today's scripture reading on page 535. Psalm 17, I'll be reading the entire chapter, follow along as I read. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. For your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Father, Lord, we come. Father, we come with humble hearts this morning, wanting, needing to hear from you, Lord. Open our hearts, open our eyes to the preaching of your word. Be with Brother Chris, Lord. Speak through him, Lord. May it be your words that that come from him, Lord. Thank you most of all for Jesus, Lord, that we can have the hope, the promise of eternal life if we put our faith and trust in him. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let me commend you. You worshiped so well in song today. It was a blessing to hear you singing. It's an act of worship that's pleasing to God's ears. Well, I hope that you've benefited as much as I have through this summer series in the Psalms. And last week, our lead pastor took us through Psalm 16 and focused on joyful satisfaction. And today we're in Psalm 17, and it's all about painful supplication. But these two songs go together. They go together in the Bible, and they go together in our lives. Last week, Pastor Bruce ended his message by reminding us, just because we're promised joyful joyful satisfaction doesn't mean the Christian life is all roses and sunshine. No, Forrest Gump's mom got it right. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And here we are, as soon as we finish singing 
about joyful satisfaction in Psalm 16, we hear a sad song of painful supplication in Psalm 17. And David is surrounded by enemies who prowl about like roaring lions, seeking to devour him and his companions. You see, David's declaration of satisfaction in Psalm 16 is tested in Psalm 17 and becomes a supplication for protection. You see, joyful satisfaction and painful supplication are both the portion of the godly. That's why these psalms go together. That's why they're here. That's why each psalm talks about the portion of what the godly will receive. One in seven global Christians faced persecution in 2021, and those numbers are only increasing around the world. You see, persecution results in painful supplication to be rescued. And that's what David is doing in this song. Persecution, though, as I realized preparing for this message, persecution is hard to preach and practice in the West, at least for now. Do Christians in the West face persecution? Have you been persecuted? Because we lack a lot of direct, intense persecution, sometimes we misunderstand what persecution is. Are everyday trials persecution? Too often we apply a passage like this to our everyday trials in a fallen world. Yeah, I'm persecuted, Pastor Chris. Somebody took my parking spot at Costco this week. Yes, I'm persecuted. My boss is hard to get along with. Or my health is failing. Or my prayers aren't being answered like I want them to. Or I wish I was married. Or I wish I wasn't married. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not making light of all of these. These are real and they can be frustrating and they can be deep trials. But the pain David is singing about in this psalm is the direct result of being persecuted by the ungodly. They are not just out to get him, they're out to kill him. And so sometimes we, we again, we struggle, and, and the question becomes, is pushback for being a jerk persecution? This is the other extreme. We think we're being persecuted for being godly, but actually we're just being jerks. And the unsaved are pushing back whether that's at school, whether that's at work, or maybe even here at the church. They're pushing back. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Sometimes the reason no one likes, uh, likes us or treats us poorly is not because of us being like Jesus, but because we're jerks for Jesus. We're hard to get along with. Or we draw lines in the sand where lines shouldn't be drawn. Or we become unnecessarily rude with witnessing or with sharing about Christ. Or we equate our political opinions with gospel truth. But here, here in Psalm 17, David makes it clear he's not being persecuted for being a jerk. But instead, he makes it clear that his prayer is for a just and righteous cause. Look again at verse 1. 
New American Standard Bible says, Hear a just cause, O Lord. Give heed to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Christian Standard, New, New Living Translation says, O Lord, hear my plea for justice. Listen to my cry for help. Pay attention to my prayer, for it comes from honest lips. You see, persecution should be, ought to be, is due to godly integrity and not fleshly iniquity. That's what David is being persecuted from. And we'll see how this is brought home in this passage. Indeed, Paul promises in the word, the inspired word of God, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Beloved, our time is coming. It is here. It is increasing. And this psalm has something to say to us. So the question remains, have you been persecuted? Are you being persecuted? And the answer is yes. Yes, it will happen. Yes, it does happen. And I can say it has happened in my life. But we need to make sure that our cause is just and the pushbacks not simply for being jerks for Jesus. Preparing for this sermon was hard because it meant reliving a time and a season in my life, in my ministry, in my family's life, when we were persecuted unjustly. You mean you were sinless and not to blame for any pushback you received? Oh, no, 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 no. I was no more sinless than David. David wasn't a sinless man. David wasn't a perfect leader. But he was a man above reproach who was being unjustly persecuted. You say, but how do you know? How do you know you weren't just being a jerk for Jesus? Because I am certainly capable of that. Well, it's a good question. And the answer is found in this psalm. It's found in the threefold way David takes us through this psalm. And we know, as I have said, all who live godly will be persecuted. So as we move through this psalm, May God prepare our hearts. May we learn this morning to pray like David whenever we are persecuted for living godly. Whether that comes from professing Christians within the church or it comes from atheists outside the church. Because we don't know what David's background here. There is no background given in the introduction to this psalm. Many speculate it's Saul and his armies. If so, then these are professing uh, believers of Israel persecuting God's anointed king. But whether it's professing Christians or outside in the world, we need to know how to pray when persecuted. So let's look at David's threefold request. It begins with integrity. He prays from integrity. Search my heart, O Lord. Basically what David's doing, putting it into the frame of what I'm saying, am I getting pushback for being a jerk or am I truly being persecuted for being godly? That's where he begins. David, though, has already gone before the Lord in prayer and he's asked God, is my cause just? Is my persecution due to my integrity or to my iniquity? He's already done that before he comes to Psalm 17. It's entirely possible, isn't it, 
for us to think that our cause is just when it's not. And it's also entirely possible in a conflict for both sides to think that their cause is just. You see, I want you to realize we cannot automatically apply these words of David to ourselves and immediately judge our cause as just. We must ask God to search our hearts when we are treated unjustly. We need to be more concerned about God's judgment of our hearts than ours. We need to be more concerned about what God thinks about the situation than what we think about the situation. You see, a just cause is not where we are completely right and others are completely wrong. It's not where we never have anything to repent of and they have everything to repent of. We must search our hearts. Or better, we must ask God to search our hearts. And we know from the Psalms that this was a regular practice of David because in Psalm 139, 23 through 24, David says, Examine me, O God, and probe my thoughts. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any idolatrous or wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the kind of prayer David has already prayed before he prays Psalm 17. You see, he comes to Psalm 17 with a tested, tried, and proven clear conscience. And so let the Lord. Here's the application. Let the Lord judge your life when you're under attack and let him do it in the three ways David did. First of all, Lord, all my are my motives above reproach? Look at verse 3. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by the night. You see, David could pray in the midst of his unjust persecution You have tested my heart. And what's that mean? The heart. Why does he start with the heart? Because the heart of the problem is always the heart. He starts with the heart. And here's what he could say to God. My emotions are above reproach. I'm not becoming bitter or self-righteous, even though I'm being attacked. My heart is inclined towards your glory, not my own. I'm not in danger of making this unjust treatment all about me, myself, and I. Listen, that's what happens. When we're in the right, we begin to focus on our rightness and we focus on others' wrongness. And suddenly this is all about me. David says, the Lord visited him in the darkness of night. Now, this again ties Psalm 17 with Psalm 16. 16. In Psalm 16, 7, David said he meditated on God's word in the night. Our meditation on the word of God. But in Psalm 17, 3, David says God's spirit visited him in the night, in the stillness of the night, in the solitude of being alone with his thoughts. Here we see God's visitation for examination. Listen, listen, listen. What you think on your bed in the middle of the night when you are all alone 
often reveals your true motives and heart's desires. Beloved, when you're under attack, take time to get alone with God. Silence, solitude, separation give space for God to search our hearts. But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And secondly, David says, Lord, is my mouth above reproach? Is my mouth above reproach? Look again at verse 3. David could pray in the midst of being persecuted. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. I have determined not to sin with my mouth. You know, few things are harder than tongue control when you are in the right. David's cause was just, but he determined before God that he would not sin against God by verbally lashing out and slandering and attacking and gossiping and even justly explaining the wrongness of his enemies. And what an example David is. What a type of Christ. When our Lord was unjustly accused more than any other human being on the planet, no greater injustice than the persecution and the crucifixion of our Lord, and yet he did not answer his enemies, and never once, never once did he sin with his mouth. Watch out. Your cause may be just, but your words may be unjust. They may be filled with cursing, with resentment, and with negative attacks on your enemies. Tongue control is vital when you're being done wrong. And David, having asked about his motives of his heart and the words of his mouth, he now moves to the manner of his entire life. And he says this, Lord, is the manner of life, is the manner of my life above reproach? Look at verses 4 and 5 on this amazing testimony. As for the deeds of men, by the words of your lips, I have kept from the paths of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. Wow. One of the greatest dangers, listen to me, one of the greatest dangers when being under attack is that we become like those who are attacking us. We get so focused on what they're doing to us, subtly, with sub, subtly, or uh, you, you can't see it happening, okay? Your heart becomes like them. You're so focused on them, you become like them. The temptation is to take matters into your own hands and to fight fire with fire. But the cliche is true. Two wrongs don't make a right. And Paul, a man who was constantly being attacked, both by professing Christians, by those he had invested years of his life, tears and prayers, as well as those outside of the cross, had to constantly remind himself, 2 Corinthians 10.3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And listen, we are taking every thought 
captive to the obedience of Christ. I think it's amazing here that David kept from following his enemies down the path of physical violence, down the path of the way of the wicked. But how did David do it? He tells us, he emphatically tells us, look again in your Bibles, by the words of God's lips, the only way to guard your heart, maintain your integrity, when you are under attack, is to keep yourself under the amazing, powerful authority of the inspired, inerrant Word of God. Instead of shooting off his mouth and becoming physically aggressive, he submitted his entire manner of life to the Word of God. He put his trust in the One who spoke all of creation into existence. That's how powerful God's word is. Listen, if God could create all of this and sustain it, then he can take down your enemies too, merely by his word. In fact, 1 Peter 4.19 says, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God, not being jerks, shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. David was able to say, my steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. David had a just cause. And you know the beauty of it? He avoided becoming a jerk in his justness. Okay? So, okay, I wasn't a jerk. I'm being persecuted by ungodly. But you know what? Under persecution, you can become a jerk. And David avoided that. So here's three questions. We should ask ourselves, do I allow God to test my heart? Am I teachable when corrected? Do I turn from sin when others show, me, show it to me in my life? So really the question becomes this, has the Lord judged your life to be above reproach? Not you, not me. But has the Lord judged it? Look at what David does in these first three verses. Let my judgment come from you. Let your eyes look with equity. You have tried my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tested me and then the climax. And you have found nothing wrong. The Lord has judged David's cause to be just. David's persecution is due to integrity, not iniquity. He's above reproach. And so now he can return again to his cry for deliverance. We see this in verse 6. I have called upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Why is he so confident? Because he's allowed the Lord to test his heart. Incline your ear to me. Hear my speech and what comes forth is an invocation. Keep me safe, O Lord. He invokes God's name and he says, keep me safe, O Lord. Look at verses 7 and 8. They're so beautiful. Wondrously show your loving kindness, O Savior of those who take refuge at your right hand from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Here's a prayer of protection, and here's what he prays. First of all, show me, 
Show me the wonder of your loyal love. David is casting himself at the mercy of the I am God. He's casting himself upon the God who revealed his name as Yahweh, ever-present redeemer, promise keeper. David is crying out here, let me see your wondrous rescue again. He's crying out for a personal exodus, another miraculous escape from God's enemies by Yahweh's wonder-working power. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb, in the blood over the doorstep, in the blood that we sang about already this morning. And David says, I want to see it again. I need to see it again. Why do we know this? Because he uses this word wondrously. Wondrously. Display the wonders of your faithful love. It's used three times in the ten plagues in Exodus. And it's always used in the sense of God miraculously sparing, saving, rescuing His people while judging the ungodly. And that's what He wants. But I don't want you to think this morning that you should anticipate Fire coming down from heaven on your enemies. Or you must see waters parted miraculously. It isn't always powerfully and manifested in big miraculous ways. It comes in small ways when you're under attack. Time and time again, the Lord would rescue my wife and I from severe betrayal, from horrible slander, from people who were close to us, family, people we had invested years in. And we didn't know what was being said. We didn't know what was being schemed. But the Lord, the Lord would reveal the backstabbing. He would reveal what was going on. And we slowly learned. And it was a process. We learned to rest in God's wonder-working deliverance, knowing that our cause was just, and that He would be our Savior. And so you rest, and the storm can rage, and the attacks may not let up for a long, long time. But you can rest, and you can grow, and you can maintain and keep your integrity intact, even when under attack. So he says, Show it to me. And then he says this beautiful, secure me as the apple of your eye. Secure me. The apple of the eye. What is that? In Hebrew, it literally is the little man in the eye. He said, I didn't know I had a little man in my eye. Well, it's that black pupil at the center of your eye. Our eyes are precious, are they not? Our eyes are precious, and we take special care to protect them. Our dear mother said constantly, don't put your eye out because they're precious. She cared and she wanted to protect you. This is how the Lord is towards you when you're under attack. You feel alone. You feel like he's forgotten you. You feel like the whole world is against you and it won't get better. But realize you are the apple of God's eye. And he will graciously protect you. And he will shelter you. And that's the third thing David prays. 
Shelter me under the shadow of your wings. Okay, this is common in the book of Psalms. I'm just going to read some of them because it just needs to be gloried in and not explained. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 36, 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 57, 1 through 3. Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me. For my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God Most High, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. Selah. Psalm 63, 6. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. And your right hand upholds me. And the most precious of all, the very words of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 23, 37, who said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. That's the grace of God Almighty. I I saw, you know, Social media can be a a demon of a thing, but it can be a blessing at times. I I watched this past few months and uh, over through the winter, uh, Eagle family that had eggs in this. I don't know how it came up, and then once you look at it, it comes up all the time. And they had names, this mom and dad Eagle, and they were there high up in the tree in the mountains, And that tree would sway, and this big nest would sway. And there that father and mother worked together to protect those eggs through the winter. And there came a time when there was snow and six inches of snow, and you couldn't even see the nest. It was just a mound of snow, and then it would rustle. And suddenly up would come the wings of the mother or the father, having kept warm those eggs. That is a picture of our God. That is what he'll do for you. And why did they need this protection? Well, that comes in verses 9 through 12. David is not shy about explaining to the Lord his need for protection. And here's a summary of those verses. God's enemies seek to brutally slaughter his people and with their hard hearts, with their proud mouths, as they carry out sneaky strategies like prowling lions. I want you to see two things out of David's vivid description of his enemies. First of all, their ungodliness should contrast with our godliness. Their ungodliness, as I studied those attributes, that deadly description of his enemies, his vicious enemies, I realized they are the very opposite of what David has been declared to be by the Lord. And so again... As you 
Look at those who are attacking you and, and their ungodliness. Make sure that you are contrasted with your godliness. Now, you need to be careful. You need to be careful, but there should be a stark contrast because ultimately, and here's the second truth, our ultimate enemy is not human, but demonic. Now, we as readers of the New Te- believers in the New Testament, when we read the end of that verse, who does this whole description make you think of? The devil. The devil. What does Paul say in First uh, Peter say in First Peter five? The devil, our adversary, prowls about like a roaring lion. The connection is there in our biblical theology. Listen, our ultimate enemy is not human; it's demonic. Ephesians six reminds us of that. We need to be careful of calling our enemies demons. Okay, that's not the application. But, Paul says, the works of the flesh are evident. And there should be a contrast between their works of the flesh and your fruit of the Spirit. God's enemies may act like the devil, but we are to be and do like Christ when under attack. Keep your integrity intact when under attack. In light of this, David returns now in light of giving the the integrity of his heart, the iniquity of his enemies, he now returns to his plea again in verse 13. And we see intervention. A demand, deliver me, O Lord. Deliver me. Look at verse 13. Dane read this so well with emphasis. Arise, O Lord, confront him, bring him low. David wants and humbly demands. Why is he so bold? Why can he, he's demanding in prayer. Because he knows that his cause is just. He's allowed the Lord to examine his heart and be declared to be above reproach. And so here are humble demands for divine intervention. First of all, powerfully, powerfully rescue me. Powerfully rescue me. Look at verses 13b through 14. Once he says, arise, and, 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 and is just so emotionally filled with anticipation. He says, Deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword, from men with your hand, O Lord. All of that is filled with a powerful rescue for divine deliverance. Your sword is the divine judgment of the Word of God. Your hand is the divine power of the right hand of God's Spirit. You see, he's saying, Lord, I can't do this. They've got me surrounded. They are, they, I am hopeless. I am helpless. I can't stop this. I, I, I wish I could. I've tried. I can't. It's not about me. It's about you. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and so I will wait on you. Beloved, wait for the Lord to destroy the wicked 
and vindicate the godly. Wait upon him. Sometimes he does it in this life. But ultimately, our powerful rescue will come in the end at the second coming. Sometimes we need to turn to Revelation 19 and just meditate. Meditate. And I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true because there's only one who is perfectly above reproach. There's only one whose integrity has never faltered. There's only one who can truly judge the wicked. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, many crowns, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself because no one can control him. No one can call him out. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. Here's the sword that David speaks of. Here's the sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And therefore, it makes sense that David's humble demand goes from powerfully rescuing me to punish the rebellious. Look at verse 14. From men with your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life and whose belly you fill with your treasure, they are satisfied with children and leave their abundance to their babe. Now, I will freely admit, this is a very, very difficult verse to to translate, and you may have even an entirely different way of looking at it in your translation. But I believe if we will connect it with Psalm 16 as we ought to, we see a contrast, and we see the meaning of these verses. In Psalm 16, the portion of the godly is the Lord Himself. His pleasures are in His presence. The the portion is eternal and in the kingdom to come, in the new creation. But here in in Psalm 17, the portion of the ungodly is only in this life. God in His common grace, God in His sovereign goodness, God in His providence blesses them and they just focus on this life and they store up treasure to pass on to their children, and their good time is now. Their best life is now. And David says, my portion is the life to come. You see, the wicked can prosper, and I'm okay, because I have a greater treasure that awaits me in the coming kingdom. You see, it says here that their portion, their bellies are filled. And yet Philippians 3.19 says, Their end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. 
Their day is coming. And it's okay to pray for God's judgment to come. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Third, he prays, protect me or preserve me regardless of life or death. Here's his portion. Look at verse 15. As for me, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. What is he talking about? David's glorious future hope is seeing God face to face, sharing in God's likeness, being resurrected. I think that's what awake here. Awake could mean when I awake from my painful sleep and supplication, when I wake and I see, oh, you have destroyed my enemies. But I think the greater truth and the greater application is when he awakes from the resurrection. He's saying, you know what, Lord? David's saying, you know what, Lord? I don't know if they're going to kill me here or not. I don't know if that's your will. It may be. But even if they kill me, when I awake, my portion will be there. My reward will be there. You see, God delivers his people in one of two ways. Either escape in this life, which we always prefer, or endurance unto death. Those are the two ways. And David was fine with that, just as the three Hebrew young men were. God may deliver us, God may kill us, but whatever, we're going to maintain our integrity. And so look at David's hope for life after death. This is an Old Testament saint with a New Testament hope. Resurrection. I will awake and stand up from the dead to eternal life. Transformation. I will share in your likeness, O Lord. Glorification. I will be able to see God face to face. Isn't that beautiful? But beloved, we have a greater hope because we have a greater David now, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of David. And now that hope of David is being fulfilled through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Beloved, fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him, that joyful satisfaction, endured the cross, suffered the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. And his painful supplication in the garden was answered. And he is ready to share his joyful satisfaction with you and I.
and he doesn't. Listen, here's the truth. Two-thirds of the 2.3 billion Christians in the world today live in dangerous neighborhoods. They are often poor. They often belong to ethnic, linguistic, and cultural minorities, and they are often at risk. This is not something to play with. This is prayed by God's people. Beloved, take it to heart. Build your spiritual muscles now for when our time comes. And by the grace of God, may we be ready to keep our integrity intact when under attack. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord. With our hearts prepared and now's a response time, Maybe you need to repent this morning of being a jerk for Jesus. I don't know. Maybe you need to repent of not living enough like Jesus to even be persecuted. Maybe you're so much of a chameleon in the world, there's not a difference. Maybe you need to repent of becoming too much like those who are attacking Christianity in our country. I think if we're honest, some of us are hardened cynical, angry, and just plain mean. Maybe you need to repent this morning of being on the wrong side of the spiritual battle. Maybe you need to be set free from the devil and enter into the kingdom of our Lord. Place your faith in him today. Turn from your own self-trust. Turn from your selfish pursuits and place your trust in and seek the forgiveness and regeneration of our Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe all of us this morning just need to rest in the hope of the gospel, knowing that whatever the future may hold, we will stand in the resurrection, we will be clothed in linen, and we will come with our King and our Savior to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father God, when our hope and strength are gone in the face of persecution, you're the one, you're the one who calls us on. You are our life. You are our fight. You are the one who enables us to keep our integrity intact when under attack. May your resurrection power burn in our hearts this morning and throughout this week. When persecution comes, Lord, when it rises like a flood and threatens to overwhelm us, may we always lift our eyes up to your throne and fix our eyes upon Jesus. Lord, this morning, help us to never forget we are more than conquerors through him who has overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. May each of us right now, right now, commit that we will not bow to sin or to shame. We will be defiant, Lord, in your name. We will invoke your name for deliverance. You are our Savior, our Protector, our Lord, our God, our Conqueror. Keep us, O Lord, as the apple of your eye. Hide us under the shelter of of your wings this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Hey, let's go in this week singing that we are more than conquerors. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.